Today on Health in the Hole, we have Kim Armington, one of the most amazing Pilates instructors who is also a physical therapy assistant. He's been teaching movement and fitness for over 30 years. He is a comprehensively trained Pilates instructor and on the faculty at Balanced Body. In addition, as a physical therapy assistant, he specializes in men's and women's health. Kim is always taking more and more continuing education courses from both Pilates instructors and PTs all over the world, and he is a wealth of information. Want to get amazing insights and perspectives from local health and fitness professionals here in Jackson Hole? This is the podcast for you, and we're your hosts, Dr. Laura Wright and Dr. Parker Hughes. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Health in the Hole. I am here today with Kim Armington. Kim is a amazing Pilates instructor, and she's the first Pilates instructor that I've managed to get on here probably because they're all busy. Um, so Kim, tell us a little bit about you, where you're from, how you got into Pilates, and then we'll roll into kind of what Pilates is. Okay. Um, I actually grew up in Madison, Wisconsin, and via a lot of different twists and turns, um, got to Jackson um, uh, because my ex-husband was in the park service. Um, so then as far as how I got into Pilates, I went back to school to be a physical therapist assistant. And one of my really good friends here, um, Michelle Dorsey owned a Pilates studio. And I came to check it out um, one time. And I'm like, there's something in this. I didn't know anything about it, but I was like, I think I wanna do this. So while I was getting my degree in physical therapy, I decided to take on um, Pilates at the same time. Wow. Awesome. And they actually became um, really, uh, they work well together for the most part. And actually I was hired for my first PTA job because I had the Pilates experience. Awesome. How long did, were you a PTA for? Um, I've worked in physical therapy since 2005 and pretty much the same as a Pilates instructor. Awesome. So okay. actually I'm back at Excel right now. So I'm doing therapy a little bit too. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, so tell us what is Pilates? Okay. Pilates is a method and a system of exercise that a gentleman named Joseph Pilates designed um, before World War One. Actually, he was... Um, he had rickets and he had um, asthma as a child and he wanted to be strong. And so he wanted to be a boxer and work in the circus and things like that. So he developed a system of exercise which has a big breathing component in it. And that was because he wanted to cure his asthma. So it's a comprehensive um, set of exercises, which there's like over 500 of them, which there's um, mat exercises and exercises that um, are done on the equipment in a Pilates studio or a gym that has the equipment or a therapy department that has the equipment. And the main components are, I, I will say, I'm just going to throw out there one of the major benefits of Pilates is it's about your spine health. Mm -hmm. So that's kind so of, I love it. Yeah, that's kind of complicated, but that would probably what would be would differentiate it between 
any other form of exercise. It's really about your spine health, how your spine moves and how it's stabilized. And so did Joseph Pilates, did he make up the pole 500 exercises or has more been added? And did he have all of these crazy pieces of equipment and design them or if those come along the way? Um, he did, he, he, did, he created all the first 500 exercises. Although we've actually found more archival footage so we, we, he may have done more. And then Pilates instructors are creative. And so we've gone beyond that, but he um, had many inventions and there are still things that he has that we've seen on paper that didn't get patented and didn't get made. He actually has a piece of equipment called a guillotine. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have not worked on one and nor okay. have I seen one in person. Yeah, <laughs> so, you know, he created all of them and they were all tensioned with springs because he was on Man of Isles because he was German and he was in England when World War One broke out. And so he went into the infirmary to help people and he couldn't literally physically pick up everyone's legs and arms and their bodies. So he took the springs off the beds and sprung them in a position that assisted movement. Yeah, this is super cool. That is interesting. When they got stronger, he changed the springs around so they would resist their movements. That's so cool. Okay. Yeah. I would have no idea. That's where the springs came from. (laughs) It still gives me chills talking about it. (laughs) Did he ever make it to become a boxer or in the circus? He did. Yeah. And that's why, um, you have exercises in his regime, like boxing, there's boxing off the trapped peace table. And, um, he studied animal movement too, but in, in dance, he was, um, in, in New York and by Balanchine's studio. And so the names of the exercises come from, you know, those things, whether, um, we have like elephant as one of the exercises, or we have seal, um, mermaid, so, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Mermaid. Yeah. So, um, it was, yeah, <laughs> it was him from studying various kinds of movements and being able to participate in those higher level activities, despite the fact that he had asthma, you know, the, the rickets were a problem, but he probably eventually worked out of that. So Mm -hmm. how did Pilates kind of become a movement or a thing and just like go past this one man? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, actually, um, there is evidence that he was really disappointed and frustrated that his method that he was so passionate about didn't get as big as he wanted it to. And so um, he did um, have problems from, uh, he, he was in a fire in his studio. So they say, where what, what I'm trying to go with this, there's kind of two things. They say that his death was related to the smoke inhalation, but people also felt, you know, it was his depression over the fact that his exercise regime did not appeal to everyone. And so that's kind of where he was as far as there was just a time around 2008 in which I don't know if it was the the people who stepped forward and started pushing, you know, what was going on in Pilates that it just started to take off. So um, I don't, I can't answer that really solidly as to what one variable made the change in it, but it definitely has changed and actually COVID made it even better. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 
Interesting. So in Pilates, are there their specialties? Is it more exercise? Is it rehab based? I know you do some specific things. So um, one thing that people don't realize is that Pilates actually came out of rehab, you know, the, the springs and stuff like that. But, you know, it, it, it primarily has evolved as a method of exercise. And your question is, you get a comprehensive training, comprehensive meaning, you know how to do the, you know how to teach the mat work, and then all of the pieces of equipment you get training on. And then once you get to that point, you can branch off in many different areas of Pilates. Like there's a woman in Nashville, Tennessee, and her specialty, she speaks all over the world, is scoliosis. But she, you know, uses all the Pilates equipment and Pilates um, method. In fact, breath is one way to um, work on a scoliosis. And um, then you can go into neuro. There's a big neuro field. And that's kind of like you could have your own area of study. And um, so because it's, we can adapt things because of the equipment. So if you just take it to the essence and let's say you're just, um, not just, but you've taken the comprehensive training, um, you might get referrals from physical therapy or doctors because they've been told or they understand that we can adapt people's movement on the equipment so we can account like for um, a total hip replacement or a total knee replacement or spinal cord injuries. There are Parkinson's or MS. We have all these different ways to adapt to what's going on um, with people. And we either have accumulated continuing ed or heard it from other instructors or we're just ADHD and we're like, give me your body and I will figure out how to make this work for you. Mm -hmm. And so what do you like to work on or specialize in? Um, well, I guess at this point, um, it would be men's and women's health, actually, pre-postnatal, um, you know, anything that um, actually involves pelvic floor, which directly is core, actually. So core stabilization. I was going to say, we, we refer a lot to Kim for people with the pelvic instability, also scoliosis, and you work with like, uh, like mastectomy. Oh yeah. After yeah. that, right? Yep. Yep. I've had several specialty trainings in, um, breast cancer recovery and just cancer recovery in itself. And of course in therapy, that was something that, you know, I, in men's and women's health that I worked both prostate cancer for men. So men um, do have trouble after prostate cancer and they should have a referral, but Pilates is a good situation for them to get in after anything like that or any kind of injury. So um, yeah, pretty comprehensive. Awesome. And I say I'm seeing Kim for my postnatal postpartum um, pregnancy, whatever, getting my abdomen put back together and my pelvic floor <laughs> working and it, it's immensely helpful. So I can highly recommend And you're doing that. a great job. <laughs> but can I add something there? Yeah. So Laura came to me before her pregnancy just to get to know me because we exchanged and she's coming after. So she's already built a foundation for herself. And just so everyone knows, in France, it's required that you have 40 visits of PT after your pregnancy, after each pregnancy. 
and we do nothing. There's no comprehension. There's not even, most OBs in the country don't even consistently refer like to Pilates-based things or to rehab after pregnancies. So just want to get that out there because it's a big thing that we need to, everyone needs to be aware of and suggest. Right. 40 so, visits in France. That's amazing. After each pregnancy and a lot of other countries give a lot more um, postnatal leave time. Yeah. yeah. So we're forcing women back into their workplace when they're not necessarily whole again. Yeah. Um, do you have any just kind of fun stories about how people have changed through Pilates and things that they've how their lives have been transformed or just things they didn't think they could do and they could do now. Um, let me see. I, there is one story from COVID that I can think of. I had a gentleman I'll just be that I went on a date with <laughs> and um, he, he didn't want to listen to me. <laughs> and, but he um, thought I needed some help going into COVID. So he um, had a friend who um, blew a disc out and um, she was in a tremendous amount of pain and she didn't want to have surgery. She wanted another alternative. So he suggests she seek me out and she sought me out at the beginning of COVID and she could barely do anything, was scared to death. And um, even seeing her just online, we were able to take her from the basic exercises to little by little getting her back to downhill skiing, cross-country skiing, taking on new activities like paddleboarding and things like that. And so we took her from, you know, potential surgery to she's living a full life, moved from Victor to Arizona to find, she's looking for a Pilates studio and she really has no restrictions. She can ride her bike, she can swim, she can downhill ski, she can cross country ski, she can paddleboard. Um, so that's a really cool, very recent story. That's awesome. And how often, yeah, do you want to Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything more. Go ahead and ask another was, question. How often, how often would you recommend somebody do Pilates or see an instructor and doing privates versus going to classes? And what do they look for maybe in an instructor? Okay. Um, I think that one of the things that, that makes Pilates hard is that it's not necessarily financially friendly. So there are mat classes and group classes that make it a little bit more friendly. And I know I've been told directly, even by people that go to those, they might've come with a back problem and just coming into a group class, like they won't leave that group class because they know it's made a difference, you know, in whatever was going on with them. Um, I would say two times is good. I see the most results three times a week. You know, yeah. definitely you see that exponential jump in what happens in people's bodies for sure. And when to do group classes versus like private one-on-ones? I'm sorry, I missed. When would somebody go to group classes versus do private one-on-ones? Um, you can generally join a group class no matter what your experience is with Pilates because the instructors um, generally know how to um, uh, make sure that you're doing all the right things. But Pilates is a complicated thing. And I always say to get the juicy details, 
to get mm -hmm. the stuff that really makes a difference in your lifetime. Because even mm -hmm. if you were started at 17 and you remember these principles, at 50 or 60, they're gonna help you. You really should take a minimum of one private lesson. And then your private lesson will pay off if you're always listening to the instructor. Like even two years later, you'll hear something that you didn't hear before and it'll click and it'll take something in your life to the next level, whether it's something you've been doing rock climbing or in Pilates or somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a never ending process. Yeah. And I think, you know, the point about it not being super financially friendly, if you look at it from like a rehab perspective, especially if you have like a high out of pocket deductible, mm -hmm. PT can be, you know, 250 an hour and Pilates will be, you know, 90 to 150 is kind of the range I've seen yeah. in Jackson. Mm -hmm. So actually like you get an amazing amount of rehab for your dollar if you're looking at it that way. Yeah. That's a very good way to look at it. And um, I have had people pay me out of their HSA. And if you get a doctor's script, yeah, you can do that. Uh-huh. That's awesome. And I just had a gentleman who was living in New York come to Jackson this last winter. He had a workman's comp injury of his back. He looked at everyone's bio picked me and he got workman's comp. This is huge because they should do this to pay for him to take Pilates lessons online. And we made a difference there. And he's trying to get them to consider it again. And my justification to them was, I've been in the healthcare field. I'm a licensed physical therapist. Pilates is my game. I know I can do this for cheaper and I know I can get the same results. So those kinds of things in our medical model are huge. Yeah, that would be powerful. Yeah. I don't know if you want to start taking insurance though, because that just becomes a whole nother, <laughs> whole nother game. But. Yeah, no, no, no. I don't have to take the insurance. I just have to write them out for Workman's Comp. I just wrote a bill. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, I just think that, that other, other things like that should be thinking about alternatives to the needs of their clientele. Mm -hmm. Right, so let's talk a little bit about kind of understanding pressure within the body. That was one of the areas that, that we've talked about that I'd love to have you explain a little bit. Okay, um, so I kind of talked to Laura about um, doing this podcast a little bit on um, pressure in your, um, in your central stability system. So I've mentioned that Pilates really is, that breath component is super important, important, and he did it for asthma. But what we've discovered is that he picked our natural breathing pattern, which should be an inhale through your nose and an exhale out of your mouth. And that uh, takes your deep core. And if this is your deep core, because the tissue goes this way, that's the way that it contracts it, just like any muscle. If I come into a shallow breathing pattern, let's say I've had an injury, I have back pain, or I have a lot of stress in my life, or I'm kind of kyphotic because of my job, and I start breathing. This system where we take air in is pressurized, just like a balloon. We are just like a balloon. So when you take air in, it's gas, it has to expand. 
So if I'm just taking air in here, this is creating a tremendous amount of pressure around my cervical disc. I could actually rupture a cervical disc. That pressure is so much. With breathing. Yes. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. sometimes people come in with disc injuries and like out of nowhere in their neck. So, okay. So Not out of nowhere. <laughs> so I actually am working a little bit at Excel and, um, basically taking people that I specialize with. And I have a young woman who is a policeman and she ruptured a disc, had surgery and then sneezed and blew out her surgery and had to have surgery again. So a sneeze, cough, vomit, or laugh is a pressure on this already pressurized system. So a sneeze in a way is compression. So if I had a balloon, we'll say the sneeze grabbed it at the top. If my pressurized system doesn't know how to respond effectively, which happens in life, if it can't respond like a trampoline to that cough or sneeze, then it's gonna push something out somewhere. So that could be a cervical disc. You could get a split in the ligament in your abdomen. I just talked to someone today about a hernia or you can prolapse organs. Prolapsing organs means that you're, you've pushed or your bladder has dropped towards an opening, your rectum or your uterus. So if, we um, create the wrong kind of pressure. Like if you're gonna go move a couch and you don't have the strength to move the couch and you hold your breath and you have a weak place in your body, like you don't have a strong pelvic floor mm -hmm. or you already have a weak spot in your abdomen, you might get a hernia or you might get a prolapse. So holding your breath is the wrong kind of pressure. We can use it at time for weightlifting, but we can also get in trouble. So I also had a woman come in for a knee injury. She was a massive weight weightlifter. And we found out that she was leaking when she lifted. And you really should not do that. We retrained her pelvic floor. She was able to go back to competition, lifting more weight and not leaking. Right. I know in some of the weightlifting competitions, they have mops just to like mop up women peeing on the floor. Yeah. And it's, it's normalized. That is not right. And it's not right to leak urine after you um, deliver babies. And it is not right to leak urine after prostate cancer. It is not right to leak urine when you turn 40, 50 or 60 and your hormones are changing. You should always be able to have a healthy pelvic floor. And that is one of the great things about Pilates. I know we've switched from like, you know, this exercise regime to like pelvic floor, but it's where all your movement comes from. So it makes a huge difference. So how do you work with people then to kind of equalize that pressure system or prevent those weak points from going kind of punching out? Um, uh, I'll start with breath for one thing. So I'll actually watch breath and I can pretty much tell, actually, I'll just say it this way because we've already gone there. What's going on in your pelvic floor? I do not necessarily need to do an, an, an internal exam. I can tell by what you're doing in your abdomen. So um, when you're breathing, if I see this pattern, I'm gonna do many different things 
to get you to start using your vocal diaphragm, your breathing diaphragm, and your pelvic floor diaphragm. So getting you to understand how to take a three-dimensional breath instead of a one-dimensional breath. And what does that three-dimensional breath mean? Describe everyone. Um, three-dimensional breath would be, well, um, we can have a belly breath, which may come from yoga, which has its uses where, let me see if I can do this, where you can breathe primarily just in your belly. So you're breathing. This tissue is not meant to go in and out. It's meant to go this way. So you're horizontally. Yep. Your breath needs to be all the way three-dimensional. You're filling up a balloon. You're not filling up one side of your body. Your breath actually goes into your back and goes wide. So it would be, I widen and I narrow. And I widen and I narrow. So that's really your career correct anatomical breath. That's exactly how a baby develops. So I was going to ask do babies breathe like that. I can go stare at my baby and you can go hold your baby and you will feel it fill up its back, its side and its belly. And they get that part of their breath. And part of our development is suck, swallow, breathe, suck, swallow, breathe. That brings a baby into midline. Midline is where you start your development. And a lot of times with injuries, that's where we're trying to bring you back to midline. So a baby develops the muscles around his spine a lot from nursing, but from kind of gyrating around, and then they can start to roll and crawl and sit up. So um, actually, you know, his stuff goes way back to primal activities, basically. Mm-hmm. And to so do babies also, do they breathe in through their nose and out their mouth? Yes, they should. Yep. Okay. I'll go check that too. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I haven't noticed all of this. (laughs) Too busy staring at her sweet smile. So I just took a course and there's actually new information. I've taken several courses from this woman and she was going breathing to pelvic floor. Now the course was on uh, vocal diaphragm and they've discovered that if you inhale and exhale out of your mouth, it actually doesn't pressurize the system the way it should. The inhale actually starts the pressurized system. So if you also don't inhale very well and you only exhale, that can kind of, it doesn't give you the right amount of pressure. So that's an interesting fact that just came up recently. Yeah. And that's a fun thing for everyone to try. I tried it when I was um, in the studio with Kim, just breathing through your mouth, like gently in and out and just, you know, not feeling a lot of pressure through your system and then doing like the deep breath in through your nose and then out your mouth and feeling more pressure in your system. It's definitely something you can do at home and feel the difference. Yeah. And so they discovered that your inhale can stabilize your core as well as your exhale. So when you're looking at true core, it's not rectus abdominis, it's deep. It's very deep and it's run by your breath. So when you're like, I don't wanna breathe when you're exercising, not a good idea. It really accentuates the benefit that you get from your exercise. And tell us a little bit about humming and what that does. Cause that was a fun <laughs> one too. 
Okay. I've been trying that. <laughs> well, in this course, this came from this course too. I just love this woman. Her name is Julie Weed. She's a physical therapist. She did like high level outpatient athlete physical therapy. And now she's like pelvic floor in her home. So what they had a, cl a client who um, was a high level volleyball player. And every time she served, she would leak urine. And that's the only time she'd had children, various other things. And so they're like, well, what can we do? And they're discovering new ideas. So they decided to have her hum when she did her serve. And that blew off the pressure. So she was holding her breath when she did her serve, which created a pressure on the pelvic floor. And when she hummed, she literally blew off the pressure. And so ended up having like a more pardon? forceful serve, right? Probably. Oh yeah. Cause when you engage true core, you're going to have more strength in your arms and your legs. So it's just like, you know, it's kind of like a piston system. It really is what we are. So, you know, if it gets clogged up, you know, it, and it blows off steam, it goes back to what it's supposed to be really. Awesome. Cool. Anything else there about pressure? Um, not that I can think of. It's just, um, it, it is amazing how many different breathing patterns I've seen throughout my lifetime sitting next to people and um, how much people tell me they can't do what I asked them to do. <laughs> and it's just because it's so different for people. But I literally have had women come in in their 70s and they'll sit there and they'll be so confused and they'll come back time after time and they're like, I'm not getting this. And I'll say, okay, are you using less incontinence products? And they're like, yes. And I'm like, okay, we're doing it. No problem, we're just doing this. You've succeeded. So, you know, it's, 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 it's hard, but it's simple. That's awesome. So how do people find you, book with you? What's the name of your company? Do they book with you at CORE or through your own website? Um, they can do that a number of different ways. They can definitely call core. Um, I, I don't, do you want me to say my phone number or oh, you, you have another website or you just have Facebook? Page? I don't really have a website anymore, okay. but you can, you can go on core and they can, um, uh, connect with you there, but I'm also putting time into Excel physical therapy. Okay. So if you should want to try to use your dollars, which may or may not work because we have such high deductibles, yeah, you can reach me there. But I'm I'm primarily just seeing like uh, pre postnatal scoliosis, just very specific things. I'm not going to see a lot of ortho there because Francine mm -hmm. and and Maria and everyone else is real good at that. Fair. I might come see you there too, because yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the C-section used up, I think most of my deductible. Actually, Francine so. is buying a huge reformer for downstairs. So I'm hoping she lets me use it upstairs and downstairs. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Cool. And then Kim, aside from Pilates, what other like one health habit has made a big difference in your life? Hmm. What can I say? Um, I, I would say the way I eat. Yeah, I am not like, I, I just easily go to kind of healthier foods and over time have just cut out sugar. And now when I go to eat sugar, it's fun and pleasant, but I also notice the impact of sugar when I go back to eat it. So um, just 
you know, finding things in my diet that stop that kind of craving and make me feel good, basically. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for being on the podcast. I'm glad we finally got you on. Yeah, it's fun. I'm glad I got on too. Thank you so much for doing this. It's such a great thing for our community. Thanks for listening to Health in the Hole. If you liked it, please subscribe so you can hear more episodes. And remember, this podcast is not medical advice. Consult your health provider before doing anything drastic.